Welcome to another episode of Adoption, The Making of Me. I'm Louise Brown. And I'm Sarah Reinhardt. Make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Adoption, The Making of Me podcast. You can also find us at our website, adoptionthemakingofme.com. And please remember to subscribe, share, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. So we are talking about A.M. Holmes, The Mistress's Daughter. She's just such a fantastic writer, and I relate so much. And what I love about her is just, I think we mentioned this the last episode, was just how hilarious her writing is, while also deep and introspective. And These one-liners that you're like, oh, God, it's so rich. (laughs) So we're in the midst of her new own relationship with her birth mother, Ellen. and But also that she talks about her adoptive parents. I highlighted this line. She said, I think of my mother having lost a child six months before I was born, having ushered him into and out of the world. I think of her having received me as a kind of get well mm. gift and then worrying at any moment that I too would be gone. It's a great way she wrote it. It struck me as well because my mom went through loss of a baby and it's like here is a healing person to heal your life. Yes. You know, the thing that I enjoyed so much about this, I followed my husband down the hall reading lines about it this morning. I'm like, literally, listen to this line, listen to this line. There was a part in here where she talked about her mother's meeting and how she realized, or before her mother's met, how she's not anybody's child. Yes, I highlighted. I was going to read that, but I want it before we get there. I wanted to talk about the wounds of her own Mm. birth mother because which her birth mother didn't tell her what, but just about her, you know, and I know my own birth mother also had wounds having been adopted and adopted into a very Christian Lutheran minister, older parents with an older brother. So that wound of Mm -hmm. kind of insecurity that I always could feel that with my own birth mother, but Also, there was a literally like line for line of something that Tilda, my birth mother, said to me when Ellen is asking AM, you know, why won't you see me? You're torturing me. You take better care of your dog than you take care of me. Tilda said that to me at one point. You love every dog on the street more than you love me. (laughs) It's the hitting of also, she said, can't you adopt me? Didn't she ask her, can't you adopt me? Yes. You should adopt me and take care of me. Yeah. And she's like, I don't want a 51 year old <laughs> child. <laughs> and I guess you're right. I did jump ahead. There's a part at the beginning where she also, I have this thing where with my bio family, who I'm going to see coming up, I do the, the more they want to know me, the less I tell them. And I could never sum it up. I'm like, oh, they're asking me so many questions. I feel, you know, cause they won't be whatever. I love this line. Our conversations are frequent. I call her a couple of times a week, but I don't give her my phone number. They are seductive, addictive, punishing. Each one shakes me. Each requires a period of recovery. Each time I tell her something, she takes the information and holds onto it close, reinventing it and delivering it back to me in a manner that leaves me wanting to tell her less, wanting her to know Uh nothing. I mean, I've never read something. I try to tell people and I can't explain what the heck my problem is. And I'm like, there it is. That's the paragraph. I'm almost going to put it in (laughs) that. I too was like that. You know, eventually I came around. Unfortunately, it was Mm -hmm. like as Tilda was nearing death and I got close to her. I mean, we were close, but I struggled for so many years on that. 
So I, I related to that totally. <laughs> and just, we do have to talk about the humor because there's some great one-liners in here, like the raspy voice. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one thing that I highlighted, which is what you were getting to before, mm-hmm. was the lack of purity became clear to me. I am not my adopted mother's mm-hmm. child. I'm not Ellen's child. I'm an amalgam. I will always be something glued together, something slightly broken. It is not something I might recover from, but something I must accept to live with, with compassion. Mm. I think from all the adoptees we've talked to over the last year and a half, that is pretty much what everyone has said and conveyed feelings, feeling the same way. Yeah. Weirdly kind of a motherless children in some way. Yeah. Uh, it should almost be the headline for us, you know, Yeah, for everybody. There's not anybody who can't relate to that line. Yeah. And I'm looking at your beautiful Woody. He looks like a statue behind Oh, look, look at, at Woody. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, listener, but her dog is doing the cutest thing. <laughs> yeah. If you're on YouTube, you can see Woody right now. He's <laughs> <It's> very regal. <laughs> yes. He's a good boy. The other thing she tackles in here, and I don't want to give too much of the story away, but where she does meet, it was Norman. Why am I blinking? Her her, bio, her father. Yeah, her, her biological father. Biological father. And he is a piece of cake. Like, I am just like, what? This guy is too much. Yes. Well, and then you see the trauma Ellen, her biological mother, went through. Because mm-hmm. even how he talks about her is so, like, she was young and knew too much about sexual things. At her, well, hello. She was a kid and you were having relations with her. Yeah. And what do you think she's going through at home to cause this? Right. I mean, yeah, I'm curious because you probably know more, but I don't know where it's going with him. And I'm very well, we'll keep reading (laughs) because if our listeners are reading along with us, we'll just keep talking as we read. And Um, I hope you are. I hope listeners. Yeah. It's such a great book. It's a great book. Great book. She's such a good writer. So, and even by the way, if you're not adopted, it's a great book, and you should. Be if you're not it. adopted, exactly, and then you'll understand it's, things too, because it's mm-hmm. not it's not like the last couple of books we read, which were very sort of clinical and yeah, analysis and intense. This is fun while also deep. So. Yes. Well, Sarah, I can't wait for our next guest. I know our next guest is a great one. I'll see you in a minute. See you in a minute. Hey, we just want to give a shout out to all of our Patreons to say thank you. We are so grateful for your support and can't thank you enough. We're so close to being able to bring this podcast to you weekly. We just need a few more Patreons to get us there. So if you want to be one of those that pushes us over, we'd love it. You can go to patreon.com and search adoption, the making of me. So many people have reached out wanting to be guests and coming to you weekly will give voice to adoptees that want to tell their story. Your support will help us get there. Any amount is appreciated. Thank you. So we're excited today for another episode. And we have a wonderful guest that I met through the social media channels, I think specifically through Instagram. And then I started following her on TikTok. And she's a wonderful advocate for adoptees. And her name's Nicole Shaw. Welcome. And you go by Coco. I do. I go by Coco. But Welcome. I'm also known as Nicole, too. So thank Excellent. you. Excellent. Well, Hi, Coco. We're so nice to have you here. So nice to be here. So tell us about you as an adoptee and what you're up to and why you're here. Yeah, start with your journey. 
Where were you born? Journey. Okay. Your journey. (laughs) Yeah. It's a long, it's been a long journey. (laughs) Um, I want to hear. So I'll say that just as Sarah mentioned, I was in the fog probably, I would say like four years ago. And I had a boyfriend who was a psychotherapist and he would see certain things and he was kind of like, you know, maybe you want to take a look at that. And I think as us adoptees often do, we sort of go down the rabbit hole, we pick it up, we put it down, we want to dive in and then something stops us. Like it's kind of a process where a lot of starting and stopping, at least it was for me. And so about four or five years ago, I decided I wanted to find my biological family. So I had seen an episode of, it was a show, it was like a one of those like family finder type shows. Mm-hmm. And I had seen, it was Evelyn Lozado and she, she, she was on Basketball Wives and she was trying to find her paternal grandfather. And the person whom she got to help her was this private investigator named Jay. And Jay, he's from LA. He's like a pretty renowned investigator. And he has a company called the Birth Parent Finder. And I was like, ooh, like, let me look that up. So I did. And back then, he was kind of like just starting his business and getting all these things together. He had long since been a private investigator, but was working specifically with people who had lost family members. So I found him on the internet. I contacted him and asked him if he could help me find my family. And at first I had like really, really limited information, just kind of growing up in a household where the information like wasn't readily shared. It wasn't available. My adoptive mother had a lot of feelings about us like finding our biological families. So it was like a really contentious thing to bring up, never really felt comfortable. So I didn't have a lot of information. Like all I knew was that I was maybe from the Caribbean or the islands my family was and that my biological mother was 16 when she had me. But other than that, like I literally had no information. Were you adopted at birth? So I was adopted at three months old. So I spent, and I don't know if you're familiar with Orangewood, Luis and no. County. So it's like the big orphanage organization. So I was in foster care for about like three months and then I was adopted. So, and you had and other siblings, obviously. I have adopted. An, I do. I have an adopted brother and mm-hmm. then I have my adopted mother's biological niece was mm-hmm. raised. We were raised as siblings and also her biological nephew. And then my dad's son from his first marriage. So it was like, we, there was a lot of different. Yeah. Blended. Going on in there. Yeah. And so, was, yeah. um, were you the, of the same race in your. Yeah. So a same race domestic adoptee. Okay. Um, and that's a very important distinction because I, a lot of people assume that I'm a transracial adoptee, just maybe because I grew up in Orange County. Yeah. Like Orange County. Of, well, yeah. I'm like a lot of. Babies are, you know, adopted by white people. So it's like, right. That's exactly right. Probably more babies are adopted by white people. Right. So it's you're adopted Um, by the same race as Black Americans, especially like in the 80s. I mean, I'm 41. So it's like 
back then, Black people weren't really adopting kids. It's sort of like an anomaly to be Black and adopted and be adopted into a Black family. So that part of my story is that like my dad played in the NFL. So he was, you know, pretty well to do as like adoptions expensive, right? Like in, in some way or another, and then made his life in Orange County and stuff like that. But I really wanted to start on this journey to find my biological family because I just didn't know who I was, where I came from. And as a same race adoptee, like you are whoever your adoptive parents are, whether you're white or people just yeah. assume like maybe you might be white and Swedish. Like, you know, like just for example, for my family, my parents, my adoptive parents, they were from Georgia and Texas, but like my biological family is Belizean and Honduran. And that's vastly different. And you know what I mean? Like there's just so many different things. So I really wanted to dive into that. Were you close to them growing up? I don't mean to keep interrupting him. um, My adoptive (laughs) family. Yeah. Yes. And no, like close in that way where I just sunk in and then I just became a part of whatever they were. So there was always like a barrier there, especially Mm -hmm. as we weren't able to talk about adoption, like really freely and openly. And so the closeness, it wasn't to me really authentic. It was more of like, these are your parents, I'm your parents, like, this is how things go. And then that's sort of how my life was. And I was left with a lot of identity issues. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, my parents decided to take a dark-skinned Black girl and place her smack dab in the middle of Orange County in the 80s. And an all white neighborhood where there's so that's why I can I was gonna ask you that if it was if it was and I can relate to a lot of transracial adoptees in that way. I think that's also why people think I'm transracial because I have that lens where I grew up in a very white community. I mean, we were the only black family that lived on our street. The only other black people that I really knew was there were the people that were in my family. So it was a very interesting way to grow up, a different way to grow up. Yeah. You had like two identity things coming at you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I didn't really know what to do with that. Like here I was pretending I was a part of this family, right? Because we all just blend in, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and then knowing deep down, like as a child, that that wasn't the case. And then like not being able to process and talk about that, that really affected me into my adulthood. And so that's when I started to realize that, like, I get to be curious about my adoption, my family, my biological family. And that's what I started to do. So about five years ago, I was like, you know what, let me let me try to figure this out. So I contacted Jay. He was like, yeah, I think I can help you. But because the information was so limited, I didn't even have a last name. And Jay has access to what's called the birth index, which is basically like the list or the records that the hospital keeps versus, you know, like the state. So someone else told us about the birth index, which I had not heard till recently. Yeah. So he was able to find my family's last name, given the limited information that I gave him. So we were able to narrow down that my last name was Brackett or my mother's maiden name is Brackett, and that to try to go from there. But it was like, there was a lot of Brackets like in LA, because I was LA County, Hawaiian Gardens is LA County. So there's like tons of Brackets. And 
possibly we came on some dead ends because again, like because of the identity thing, it's like he showed me like some pictures and I'm like, well, it could be my mom, I guess. Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Cause I don't know what I look like, like outside of no, there's no genetic mirror for me to say like, oh, I look like that person. Right. So that was hard. And then when we were coming up against so many walls, he was like, you know, I think you just need to take a DNA test. So months and months had passed. Um, you know, the DNA testing takes a while. I took it, got it back. And I had a hit for a second cousin. And that second cousin, the universe, God, however you want to phrase it, works in so many mysterious ways, especially when it comes to adoptees. You hear these things a lot, right? Yeah. And my biological cousin was living in Antioch, which is like 30 miles outside of San Francisco. So I'm like, wow, you know, this is crazy. All the places someone related to me could be living in the Bay Area. So... I knew that just I a was, car drive away. <laughs> the car, yeah. So I knew I was like in alignment, right? I knew like I was on the right track. And I was able to kind of narrow it down. Jay was able to talk to a few people. But when we started talking to people, we knew that the story wasn't good. There was something that had happened that precipitated me being born that really affected the way my biological family wanted to interact with me and how mm. they saw me. So I was a secret, like no one even knew that I existed. And within 48 hours of that DNA test and with a second cousin and all that, like Jay was able to find my biological mother. And he kind of serves as a liaison, like he's really good at that, like where he'll be the one to reach out and go into the guise of hey, we need some medical information. Like, are you willing to give this to me? This person is looking for, you know, whatever. And her reaction, like she did not want anything to do with me. Mm -hmm. And in that- painful. It was very painful. It was, you know, it's that secondary rejection that as adoptees, like it's always looming, you know, when when it comes to connecting with your biological family again. And that was, it was, it was heartbreaking. It was devastating because I felt like I had waited, you know, at the time I was like 35, 36, like I'd waited like my whole life, right. For this moment, just to be met, like with this really harsh resistance. And so that was hard. And then subsequently, like I had matched with two cousins on there and one of the cousins, she was really close to my biological mother at one time. So like I was able to talk to her and sort of ascertain what happened. And what what it was, was trigger warning. Like I was a baby, like born out of violence and rape. Mm -hmm. And and it was when she was like 15. And so it was a really devastating story, just how it even happened and how it really ripped their family apart and how even me being a secret, like I was, but I wasn't right. Like, it's like people always knew something was wrong with her as far as like maybe developmentally, like she had some issues and, and things that maybe she never dealt with, but they could never quite put their finger on it. And then my cousin, her name is Joy she talked to me about like, yeah, I remember that summer where she was pregnant and hiding and she came over from Belize and, you know, so just so many different things and being an immigrant and living like in a third world country, like at the time and just things like that really 
precluded her from being able to connect back with me. So that was hard. That's sad too, because why she's pregnant with you, there's also that connection too, right? Trauma, Mm -hmm. stress, and and she's just a kid. I mean, we have kids that's so young. So young, so young. So I understood at the time, like, especially as a mental health professional, you know, and people who were, as a person who's worked with people, like with trauma, like I could understand from her point of view, like why that would be so painful and how, like, even in that moment that Jay contacted her, like she was probably back in that moment Mm. of what happened to her. So it was like, she couldn't get past that. And then when I spoke to her brother, my uncle Dan, at first, like he had a similar reaction because there was something sinister and really dark about the way that I was brought into this world. And it it had to do with all of them. And and what I maybe was a symbol of to them, Mm. the darkness around what happened to her and how it like really affected the family and how like it was an altering moment in that whole thing. Yeah, like mm-hmm. it just it altered it. And then yeah. also like what Louise was saying, just it altered me, like my DNA. Like it mm-hmm. all like we're talking about generational trauma, we're talking about epigenetics, we're talking about how stress hormones affect unborn children. So yeah. so many different things, right? And then I got into a family that didn't respect my adoption and respect the process of what a child would need in order to process adoption. And that was really difficult, really difficult. It seems like most families are sort of at that level, especially in the 80s, 70s, 60s. It's like here, you're part of the family and that's that. I mean, did you have a narrative of like a lot of adoptees Mm -hmm. that you were lucky and chosen and saved I was, and i was in that fog for a very very long time yeah especially because i grew up like relatively privileged i mean my dad played in the nfl so we had access to everything that we needed and it was like if you look at it on the outside it's like i had two parents that are still married to this day i had siblings a roof over my head i was never hungry things like that, like basic needs were met. So in that way, like, yeah, I was grateful. Like I was, I felt good about that because there was a reminder of what my life could have been, right? Like that's that thing that Mm. people like to project onto adoptees. Like what what would my life have been like? Constantly. Yeah. Like if I would have been raised by that dad and that family, but who knows? Like who? Right. Yeah. I know. I I know exactly what you mean because for many yeah. years I I would think yes I was so lucky to not have had that other circumstance but that other circumstance could have easily been because my birth mother suffered trauma from yes. losing me right but did your adoptive parents know anything about your yeah, birth what were they told so that's the thing as I've grown up and as I've seen things and heard things I don't know. I feel like now that I've done some discovering and uncovering that they didn't, I think they didn't. I don't speak to them right now. Whereas oh, you don't. Yeah. So I think they, are you strained because of this, because of your wanting to know who you are? No, I'm more estranged because my adoptive mother had a lot of narcissistic traits mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. affected me. And I don't think she ever really dealt with, 
the infertility and all of that got projected onto the kids or the, yeah, yeah, the kids, because we weren't what she really wanted. Like she wanted her own child and then Mm -hmm. she had to compromise that, but didn't do the work before that to deal with the loss of a child. So I essentially just became an understudy for a dead baby. And I had to do that my whole life, like to keep up to those standards and be that, which was hard. Oh, extremely. So many adoptions are born from infertility right. that isn't, isn't dealt with. Right. It's like the adoptive baby is the Band-Aid on yeah. a sore that hasn't healed mm-hmm. and just cover it up forever. So, yeah. And as a parent now, uh, as a right. mother, right? As a mother who birthed a child, right? Yeah. I can wholeheartedly understand like how devastating that would be to lose a child and to like not be able to carry a child. Like women already have so much pressure like in society, especially back then, right? Like you were supposed to be a wife and a mother. And mm-hmm. if you can't be that, then who are you? What's your identity? So it was a, such a secret, right? Like that we didn't come from her because that was shameful. That was shameful back then. And so that shame was constantly projected onto us. And we were made to feel like we weren't enough or we're doing something wrong or just by existing, right? So that was really difficult. But also I have compassion for my adoptive mother because I know that sometimes the tools weren't available back then for people. Yeah, we talk a lot about that. Yeah. Yeah. And when you were growing up, were you not really allowed to talk about your adoption or it was just not at all? Wow. That's yeah. In fact, when my brother and I first set, so my brother and I kind of bound up together, like in the sense that there's five of us, two kinship adoptions, we'll say Mm -hmm. two domestic adoptions. And then my eldest brother, who's from my dad's first marriage. So all the dynamics were really, really different. And my brother and I, who are like legally adopted, you know, like went through the adoption system, we had similar feelings about how like we weren't able to express ourselves, like we weren't able to talk about our adoption, like it was like a taboo subject. And one day I asked him, I was like, do you remember when I was told that I was adopted? Because that's like a completely blank memory. I don't ever remember being sat down and like, let me explain adoption to you. Although I've always known I was adopted, but it was more like, you're adopted, like you're in this family now, don't tell anybody, that's our family secret. And if you do, like you're going to get in trouble. And I remember as a child being so confused, like hella confused about that like just what is adoption who's my mom is that my brother is so like you brother? couldn't tell your friends or no. yeah that's wow. no not one soul and not even talk so, about oh my gosh my family you know it would be one thing and it's not even it's still not a good thing but it would be one thing if like my adoptive mother and family were like okay you can talk about it within the safety of our home we but that was never the case it was like don't talk about it Just don't talk about it. Like, just don't talk about it. And so when I asked my brother that question all these years later, because him and I never actually talked, we didn't start talking until we disconnected from my adoptive parents. 
because we weren't allowed to. And then even in our adult years, like we were so conditioned to not do these things, yeah, right? The guilt. Of adoptees, right? The guilt and all that, and all that projection that I asked him, he was like, he remembered a story I'd never even heard before. He remembered when he was told and how he felt and just like the emotions and the things that my adopted mother told him. And then he was like, I don't think you were ever told. I think basically it was like the trickle down effect, right? Which was a lot of what I got as the last child. I was the baby. So everything just trickled down. You told Maisha and Eric, it'll come to me eventually. You know what I mean? Like one of those. And so he was like, no one ever told you. I assumed probably that I was adopted at that point or something, you know, and then my brothers and sisters who were only two years older than me were taxed with this responsibility of, of letting me know what was going on. So that families are such systems, aren't they? They're really systems where you know what you're supposed to act like, how you're raised. You just know things. I I talked to my brother about this. Who's not adopted, but Mm -hmm. we just knew what our roles were, what, like how that comes to you, but it's, you just knew, don't say anything. (laughs) Still blown away. I don't think I've heard a story like yours where literally you keep this a secret. Nobody outside this family can know. And we're not going to talk about it in the family. I mean, and it wasn't that long ago. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't it? You know, you grew up in the 80s. It wasn't like there was information, not a ton of information, but there was a little bit more information than there was, say, 20 years prior to that. That's just... Well, and I also think we've talked about this, like in the Black adoptee support group, what is it to be like the cultural piece around like Black people and how Black people communicate and how maybe it feels scary for Black people to have white people like in their business. And Okay, I get that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was like, yeah, like adopted them kids. You're already we black. No You're in Orange workers. County. Yeah, okay. we don't need no more social workers in our business. Like we, don't I gotcha. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I think, that makes sense. I, I get that. Like a lot of that, and just kind of like I would have. I didn't know any other adopted people. I didn't even really understand like what that meant. Like I understand that, like you know, the basics of it, but it metastasized like as I grew up. But my child mind still thought about it in the same way, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. I was never able to grow up in that. Did so, you have the, those feelings of, for lack of a better expression, primal wound feelings? Yes. Like yeah. I would have one of the things that I've talked about on my platform mm-hmm. is that, and so I, I'm at the Black Adoptee and I have a platform where I just talk openly about my adoption experiences. And one of the things that I've, said was adoption or like adoption loss, feeling like you're not anchored to anything, like a loss or a grief that's not necessarily attached to something that you can identify, especially if you don't know about the primal wound. So when I was younger, I would feel these, I was hella anxious, you know, like I had a lot of anxiety, lots of like looming sadness or mood fluctuations, you know, like lots of fluctuations in my mood. In fact, it used to be like a running joke, like, oh, why are you so moody or whatever? And then I don't know if you've ever seen the Paul Sutherland. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay. So he talks about like addictions to like sugar, right? Right, right, like that was huge, like from huge when I was in. In fact, I still kind of struggle with that to this day. Me too. And not knowing 
all of that stuff or most of that stuff was related to adoption or, I mean, adoption is like the blanketed right. term like for it all, but it's attachment, it's detachment, it's the primal wound, it's so many different things like underneath that and then not making the connection. And then it all being more sort of about me just not being able to adjust yeah. into this adopted family, right? And that's or relationships or anything else. I yeah, always had that. I was always moody or sad or yeah. You know, why am I so triggered? And then I'd want to run away. And you know, I didn't. Sarah and I literally. It was like when the fog comes out and you're starting to lift. You're like, what the heck? This whole time I'm dealing with this. No idea. Yeah, relationships you know? was huge, huge, huge. Right. You had mentioned that it was a boyfriend that was like, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, wanna, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that because that's, you know. Yeah, tell our listener about that because what you're doing now and how that came about. What do you mean, like, which part? What you're going into now to specialize in. Oh, yeah. So even when I was younger, like, I, I felt like I had a desire to work in like mental health and to like figure things out and to figure out people's brains and things like that. And I ended up in the mental health field when I got out of college. And so, and that's not what I went to college for. I went to San Jose State, if you can see. (laughs) Um, But I didn't, that's not what I went to college for. I got my bachelor's degree in kinesiology. It's nothing to do with uh, (laughs) psychology, right? But as I just continued to get older and just kind of like wanting to help people, I saw a need and also wanted to dive into myself because typically when people go into the mental health field, it's because they want to deep dive into themselves. And that's what happens because you have to in order to be able to help people. And so I started off in my career working in like psych hospitals and seeing this stuff. So then I was able to make these connections like, oh, I can put a name to that. That's called anxiety. That's called depression. Oh, that's what that is. That's not just me being moody. Like that's something else manifesting itself as mood. And so as I, started to dive deeper into myself and that I was like, you know, this is the career path that I want. So then I moved to Northern California to San Francisco to be a crisis clinician. So I started working in uh, inpatient psych hospitals, like doing activities and doing counseling and things like that. And then I went to more crisis work where I would be putting people in the hospital, putting them on psychiatric holds. And then, um, like grief counseling and stuff like that, but all while also needing all that stuff. Right. Right. So then I started going to my own therapy and really diving into that so that I could be an effective like clinician. And then I made the decision recently to go back to school because I see this need for black female clinicians, especially like in the adoption field. And then also just in the therapy field altogether, but there's a need for adoption specialists. Like there's a need for people like me to be able to listen to people like our listeners right now Mm -hmm. and who can relate because my therapist now is not an adoption specialist and there's a barrier, but it was more important for me to just be in therapy than it was for me to like rack my brain to try to find this person. So sometimes it's important to be who we want for other people, right? Yes. So 
that's why I really decided that I'm I'm gonna go back to school and become an adoption specialist so that I can help my people because y'all are my people. Like adopted people are my people. Mm-hmm. And I felt more comfortable and more accepted and more understood in this community that I've ever felt in my entire life. Hundred percent. Yeah. Why? Mm-hmm. We have the same thing. I mean, both Sarah and I have been to therapy and so little has been paid to the adoption part of whenever I've been to therapy. Yeah. When we're on the podcast, that's when I have therapy, just the reading and talking to Sarah and what I've learned on Twitter and with adoptees. It's like, Mm -hmm. I'll literally go on at night sometimes. I don't know if Sarah does this, but to read to kind of go, oh yeah, I can relate to it. It's almost like seeing yourself in different versions. Yeah. And it makes me feel so validated, even like listening to you just say like, oh yeah, triggers, relationships. I'm like, whoo, that's my whole life, you know? Yeah. So, and then <laughs> other true. people don't understand that. And they, 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 they don't. It's, it's an excuse. It's like, no, it's a substantial wound that takes a long time to heal that wound, especially if you're not able to process it. And what happens with adoptees many times, especially like, people like ourselves is that we spend our whole lives like not processing that adoption is like boom like let me process for me 40 years of adoption trauma like right two years right yeah. like, it's <laughs> that's where we spend our childhoods basically taking care of somebody else's feelings exactly uh, so we and never got to take care of our own feelings and nobody knew how to that we even needed those it's so weird i was thinking about it earlier today, just about how our understanding of babies now, as opposed to 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago of, no, you can't just take this baby and give them to somebody else and right. think that that's not going to hurt them. Right. Um, There's no but yet, plate. Right. No, me, you forgetting about, you know, you don't just forget it's like, I, I, I got to write, you know, my personal statement. And I started it off by, if I told you that I lost my family in one fell swoop, you would feel devastated for me. You would feel sorry for me. You would feel profound empathy for me. If I didn't give you any context to me losing my entire family, my culture, in just one fell swoop. But as soon as I say I'm adopted, that changes, right? Mm-hmm, For whatever yes. reason. And I'm here to tell people and to show people, like, even scientifically, how that affects us. Like, people don't want to listen to us just chat. Like, they want facts. They want hard facts. So let me give you some hard facts about how there is a pattern with adopted people and in suicide, how there's a pattern in adopted people with anxiety and depression and the inability to have successful relationships. Like this isn't just pseudoscience, like this is real, but there needs to be more research in it because not enough people are putting it on paper. And then we have to do all this work for people to believe that adoption is trauma. I think because this adoption industry is so huge and it's crosses both political spectrums and it's universally thought of as a great thing. And so therefore funding and trying to get those studies funded and doing that is an uphill battle. And it's just like uphill right now. You have to keep fighting for that and change this narrative and just keep talking about it and yelling about it. Right. 
So I love podcasts like this because it gives us a chance to speak Mm -hmm. authentically and speak real about our real life experiences as adoptees. And I think what gets lost a lot of time is that people are so committed to this idea of adoption being like this beautiful, great thing. And Mm -hmm. and that's so hard for them to see the other side of that. And I've never been a person who's been like adoption is all bad or all good. Are there people like that? And do I understand where they're coming from? Absolutely. Where I come from is a place where adoption and the system needs to be changed. Right. We need to do things on a systematic level, which is why I want to go back to school, which is why I want to get into legislation and to law and to policymaking and to like, how do we mitigate some of this harm that is collective, like it's a collective harm. And now we're just coming out and talking about it and the resistance that we (laughs) get from that, right? Like so much resistance because people are, again, so committed to this societal paradigm where it's like, adoption is great. You should be grateful. You had a great life, you know, just all of those tropes that we get tired of, like as adoptees. And where can I make a difference? Like in my community, in my community as an adoptee, in my community as a Black adoptee, as a Black yeah. woman, consulting and just in, in being a voice for the voiceless. Oh, it's so important. I'm so glad you're on here for so many people. And so many people don't speak up. They, they just listen and they need this. Yeah. So it, what did Nancy Verrier say? The adoptees are the only people with trauma who are expected to be grateful, right? You're expected to be grateful and not talk about it. And people don't like it being talked about, honestly. I had somebody, a woman in a work situation the other day. And I said, oh, I, yeah, a podcast about adoption. She goes, oh, my husband and I are talking about adoption. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, like, oh. and, <laughs> and I said, well, she's, you know, I'd love to listen. I said, well, you're, you're going to probably have some cold water thrown in your face listening to my podcast, but I will tell you if that is really your intention, read everything you can read and do the work and really examine yourself about why you're doing this and Mm -hmm. maybe think about not a newborn adoption. So yeah. But you that you said it's because I've never said those things. I've had people say things to me at dinner parties, like, oh, I'd never adopt because, you know, they say horrible things in front of you and I've just been quiet. And now I'm like, oh, no, 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 that's not going to be my response anymore. Right. And I've also, as much as there has been resistance, like starting a platform and and just being on Instagram or TikTok and just having people who aren't adopted, like non-adopted folks, like inbox me and say, like, thank you. Like, I never knew that. Or this makes me think twice about adopting or this makes me think twice about how I interact with my adopted child or with the resources that they need or you know what do you think about this so I welcome those questions and and mm-hmm. I really enjoy like answering those things for people because I think it's helpful and I think it's it's what's really needed because yeah. what you don't see is where's all the teens like where are all the teen adoptees where are all the younger adoptees and the services for those children. Like, why do we have to wait until we get into like our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s? I mean, there's so many late discovery adoptees are just like coming out of the fog so late in your life. Mm -hmm. And when people like us can look back and say like, that is what affected me. 
is not having access to this information and not knowing this information a long time ago. It's that old, if I would have known what I know now. So that's why I speak up. That's why I hop on people's podcasts and run a platform and want to expand myself and use myself the way God intended me to be used. Like this is my purpose. Like this is 1000% my purpose. Ours too. I mean, yeah, we, we've gotten, I love that. I love that so much. Really so grateful that yes. you came on. I still want to probe a tiny bit, then we can. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know, um, <laughs> did you find any biological siblings? So no, it's very telling that my biological mother never had any more yeah. kids, never was married, never yeah. had a boyfriend or a husband or anything like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And being born out of violence, that's a precarious situation for lack of better words. It's like, so I might have siblings on my father, my biological father's side, but that hasn't come up yet. I'm still sort of in the midst of trying to find that, but not putting tons of energy behind it because I don't know your adoption stories, but like they're from another country. When you bring in the other country that's like a whole other layer of mm. difficulty for search for adoption. Search. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they don't keep records and doing all that stuff. And you know what I mean? So it would be hard. So to answer your question, no, I don't know if I have any other biological siblings as a possibility. Do you feel like maybe the door will open up with your mom? Maybe. Here's, or- here's what I'll say. Is that people change, right? Right. That's grow. what I was kind of alluding to. <laughs> change, people grow. And there was a docu-series on Netflix about, I think it was these two, were they twins? And then they, and at first they went to find their biological mom and she was like, no. And then like 10 years later, she wanted to connect. And you hear those stories like that mm-hmm. in the community quite a bit. So for me, all I do is pray for my adoptive mother. Like I work on her from the back end, right? Like there's nothing I can do about what happened to her. There's nothing I can do about the things that she experienced, but I do hold on to some faith and hope that we'll meet each other again in this lifetime or the next, because as mothers, right, we're always bonded to our children. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do, you adopt. It doesn't matter. So I believe that at some point in time, we will come back together. Yeah. I hope so. I hope sooner than later. Yeah. And we look like. I'm sure. Twins. Yeah. And you're so amazing. I'd love for her to know you, but it's hard for her. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Right. And even like when I was talking to my biological uncle and we, and it was really hard to even get to know him, to talk to him. And I remember like when he wanted to tell me like the story, right? The story yeah. of what happened. And I had known like tidbits just from like looking on the internet, kind of like my own intuition and being able to decipher certain things. And we were talking on the phone one day and he was just like, you don't know like what happened. And he was like, when you came back around like bullying, he used the word bully, bullying us for information. He was like, it was like an evil reincarnate. So it was like, yeah, right. That shook me, right? Like those words, you're comparing me to like a diabolical serial rapist and killer. 
and you don't even realize that, right? And that has nothing to do with me. So again, like so often, like as adopted kids, like we're fielding all these things from like all these sides, right? Like I got to take on whatever my biological family feels about whatever, however my adopted family feels, society feels, and that is exhausting. And I really had to think about that for a minute. What does that even mean? Because I know me, right? Like I know myself. I know I'm a light-filled human being. I know that I'm filled with love and compassion and empathy. And to hear that that was a symbol that he yeah. saw was really disheartening. And did, and did he soften to that? And he did. He did. He, he did. He did. Like we had a really good conversation. And he was pained because essentially... Long story, super short, is that he was supposed to be watching my biological mother mm-hmm. at the time. Like they were left in Belize while my grandmother came over to the United States to start the family. And they were sort of like left to their own devices. Dan was like 18. My mother was like 15. And she was getting into trouble. And one day she went to a party and she wasn't supposed to be there. And she went to like a, it was like a well-known place where like bad things happened and it did. And then it was like videotape, like we're talking about like the eighties, right? Like, so videotape, they were blackmailed. So there's so many things to the story. And then Dan that was too much for like his massive guilt. Yeah. Can you imagine like, and he became, I mean, there were so many things that how that affected his life. So when we're on the phone that day, I just heard all that pain that he was like projecting onto me as if I was the person that did the crime, you know, and that is so common with adopted people, right? It's like, no, I'm the child. Like I was the child in that situation, but they don't see it that way. They see you as a reflection of whatever like dirty little secret or whatever happens like an adoption. So that was hard. That was really hard. Yeah, that's mm. really big. Yeah. Wow, what is what a story. I hope one day you write a book too. Uh, too. I started. <laughs> I started. I knew. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. keep doing what you're doing because I love and come back more. You've been very quiet. I have been quiet. You know, I was dealing with some mental health like issues, yeah. you know, just I think as adoptees, like we really kind of go up. You're totally up. allowed, but not for us. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, doing that and then just yeah. wanting to think about how I use myself and like how I yeah. use my platform and how I allow other people to use me and the messages that I'm putting out and how that affects other people. So wanting to be more intentional and mindful about that's something. good to evaluate. Yeah. Yeah. To really we have try- that. Sarah and I go through that ourselves. Like what yeah. message or when people want to ask us about things or mm-hmm. we get requests sometimes and we're like, yeah, you know, we have to think about it. Yeah. So really wanting to do that and just kind of take a deep dive into myself so that I can be a hundred percent when I'm ready to do the things that I want to do for this community. Yeah. You're just an important voice and I'm really grateful for you coming on today. And I loved our conversation. I feel like now we have a new friend. Fast. Yeah. Yeah. I went fast. And we did. We have a new friend. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, please. This was great. I appreciate you both having me on and even just validating me. Like I'm in this group, this adoptee writing group on Thursdays. Mm -hmm. It's called like through adoptees with voices, I believe. And it's a collective of like 25 adoptees that just kind of like sit around and write. 
And it's so powerful just to be with your own people. Like we have these barriers, psychosocial barriers that that are in place, right? Like race and, and gender and culture. But when it comes to adopted people, the thing that's so interesting is that we all share such a common thread and being able to connect and be validated by my people is really important. So thank you. That sounds like a a great group. I do a writing workshop and it's really intimate, Mm -hmm. but I'm the only adopted person. And Mm -hmm. and we do a lot of writing prompts, you know, so that just stuff comes out. Like I never thought that blah, 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 you know, that just a simple prompt. But lately, like a lot of my adoption stuff has been coming up and I can just see on their faces (laughs) just how, you know, like they don't get it at all. This group is like, oh my God, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. And then it's ran by Jennifer, is it Ghostin? Am I saying that correctly? She wrote a book. She's a black woman. And then two other women that help run the group and will you send it to us and we'll put put their information every they do them like every quarter so it's like they do a series of and it's all like writing about adoption and it'll start with a writing prompt like what do you think about your adoption how do you feel about your adoption i love that in my group i never knew that i needed I'm right. laughing about what Sarah said because a guy in my writing group actually said, you're very wounded like this. And I'm like <laughs> sitting there like I'm like in a seniors one in the daytime. Great writers, but I'm definitely the only adoptee and the only it just felt funny. I almost started laughing like, OK, also, oh, I'm going to keep that it. to yourself, sir. Yeah, yeah like, This guy, this good. guy always <laughs> has something to say, but you know, he said it in such a worried way and I'm just like okay <sighs> but then you can't be yourself you can't right. totally be yourself while yeah. you're writing when you think someone's gonna say that exactly so I love it all right well send us the information I and, will. Can, and do you want us to send people to your platform yes please okay great yeah. so we'll put that in you know <laughs> there's still a lot of great information on there it's great yeah and still going yeah and you're Good. funny yeah we'll send it <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Nicole. Thanks for doing this with us. You're welcome. Thank you both for having me. I appreciate okay. it. Thanks. We'll see you see right. soon. We'll see you Bye. later. Bye. 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 That was so great. Nicole is such a layered, deep, introspective, brilliant person. And to know where she came from and to have such dignity and grace about it and empathy and compassion. Mm-hmm. I loved when she said, I'm full of light. And love. Uh-huh. Like she knows who she is. She very much knows yes. who she is. And I love her boundaries. And it's funny because she was very direct when, when I met her and she was like, well, you need more stories on your podcast, which we do all different kinds of stories. And she was so direct, but loving, like, I'm going to take a listener. I'm going to follow you guys. And she's just, I don't know. She's open, but also knows what she stands for. And I don't know. She moved me a lot. Just thrilled. We had her on me too. She's going to make a great adoption therapist she is which we need back and well yes because and an advocate i was thinking wouldn't she be great to go and speak to like washington and mm-hmm. God, i just see her yeah. in a role as she goes forward i do too i'm so glad we had her me too well <laughs> what another can we say? Great episode another great episode see you next, see you time. next time thanks so much for listening today And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at the Making of Me podcast. 
And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, find us at patreon.com searching adoption colon the making of me. Bye. See you next time. Thank you.